You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. I'm Georgia Hart, Principal Consultant at Middleton Executive and your guest host. I'm passionate about all things product and tech and can't wait to explore some amazing topics with Australia's top product leaders. Joining me today is Jonathan Swift. Jonathan has over 20 years of experience in leadership across the UK, US, Asia and here in Australia. He has led the product function across a variety of businesses, including startups, multinational organizations and everything in between. He was former global head of product at Frontier Software, former CTPO at Whisper, and now general manager at REA Group. Welcome to the Product Edge, Jonathan. Thanks, Georgia. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to be talking to Jonathan about what it's like to be a leader in in product and learn how product managers can grow into excellent leaders. Before we get started, do you mind just telling us a bit about yourself, Jonathan? Yeah, sure. Um, Obviously, you can tell by the accent, I'm originally from the UK, but I've been lucky enough to live in Australia for about 15 years now. So exciting times. Um, It's funny, whenever I describe myself, I was going to go back to where I started off as an engineer. And I think in my heart of hearts, I might still be one of those. (laughs) But I'm really lucky that I've actually found this little niche called product. I really enjoy that. So I'm now the general manager consumer experiences at REA Group for our Australian audience. They'll know that as realestate.com.au. And so my products are those consumer facing ones, the app, the website that about 60% of the adult population use. You know, we top out over 12 million unique audience every month, which is fascinating. I actually come more from a B2B background and, and probably more experience there. So I'm really enjoying learning about consumer product. And it's quite, it's still quite unique to me in that. For a long time, I've had to explain both what product management is. You know, you're at the barbecue or you're in laws or your parents. What do you do for work? Having to explain what product is. I also always had the challenge of having to explain what the product was I managed as well. You know, what the company did. It was already niche or, or especially if it was a B2B software, really just solving one particular problem. It's been amazing at REA Group in that when you say, oh, yeah, I, I lead, you know, the product of our consumer experience, and I work for realestate.com.au, you never have to explain that. And I'm still really enjoying that aspect of it, actually, working for a well-known brand. It's fascinating. And I can't wait to hear more about it. But would love if you could start by telling us what are the biggest challenges that product managers face today? Uh, it's a really good question. I think I've, I've been a product person for about 15 years, and it's changed quite a lot in that time, I think. I think partly it's just as kind of, and when I talk about products, should be really clear, I'm talking about technology-enabled products. Product management is a very broad subject, but whenever I talk about products, I'm really talking about you have some form of technology-enabled product, whatever that is. And I think that's changed a lot over the last decade or so. 
I think we've gone from a world where product managers were just seen maybe in an agile type way of being a product owner type role, the voice of the customer, you may be the SME in the particular market space where I think now the product role is far more broader. It's far more challenging someone entering into product today than it was, I think, when I certainly entered into there. I think that around that, when we think about in the past, the product manager was on the hook for a lot of the outcomes we were trying to go to. Whereas now we've got that world of, of what I call product pods, you know, that kind of perfect world where you have tech, design, product management, maybe analytics coming in there that all contribute together with a product. That actually, on one hand, helps the product manager, don't get me wrong, but also makes their job more harder. Now I have to really, as a product person, understand these other people, their motivators, their, their needs. And really, when I'm thinking about things like prioritization and, and what we're trying to achieve, translating that into language that all of our, our stakeholders can understand. So I actually think it's got a, a harder job over the last few years. I think the demands on our time is greater than ever as well. Um, I think the focus we have to put into not only prioritizing our own product, but prioritizing our own time, what's important right now, is incredibly hard for product people these days. And I think it really makes it harder that there's no unified product book. You know, there's no one way of working. Product's different in every organization. It needs to reflect the market you operate in. So it's a very challenging job, you know, and, and I think that also leads to, to, to what success looks like in that as well. You need to be able to be someone that can actually multitask in a certain way. We know that multitasking is a, a nonsense, but within one day, be okay with context switching. It's going to happen. Be able to understand what is important right now. I mean, those kind of skills that you need to really focus in on to be successful these days. I think it hasn't helped as well all of the language we've used over the last decade for product management. You know, one of the things that um, still one of my absolute bugbears is when I hear terms like mini CEO for the product. <laughs> that drives me absolutely insane because it's like, no, you're not the mini CEO. You have all the responsibility. I totally get that, but you usually have no power. It's all about influence. It's all about actually, if we go back to that product pod concept, getting our peers to perform and, and be at their best. So, you know, one of the analogies I've, I've often used, and even that I'm, I'm starting to shy away from, but it's more like the ringmaster in the circus. Your job as the product person is to make sure the trapeze artists are coming on and the line payments were entertaining the audience. It's not about being the mini CEO. So I think that's some of the big challenges faced these days. What are some of the differences between product leadership and people leadership? Are they not fundamentally the same thing? Uh, that's a really great question. It's something I'm all over. I think as I've moved into leadership roles over the last um, decade, it's, it's been so much learnings involved in And you understand with people leadership and product leadership, there is some crossover, you know, influencing certain contexts are really important skills. But I think with product leadership, great product leaders don't necessarily need to be people leaders. And I see a lot of people get kind of hooked up in their career around this thinking that their worth as a product person is how many product managers report into them. It's like, no, product leadership, the greatest product people can be seen a single influencer in the organization. I think with product leadership, we're really looking at those kind of fundamentals around understanding our market, understanding what success looks like for our product right now, focusing on the context and the outcomes we're trying to achieve for our product, and just being a great communicator of that as well. You know, the great product leaders out there 
can go and communicate whether it's their tech teams, whether it's to the to the board of directors, to their customers, to their consumers. That ability to shape and communicate there as well is incredibly important to product leaders. You know, when we think about people leadership, we're usually in that mindset of performance management, coaching, career conversations, and growth. Incredibly important, but they're not the same absolute skill sets as great product leaders. I think product leaders really need to, that coaching definitely, but really great product leaders, it is about that communication and influence and skills. They're the bits that whenever I go and hire a, a product leader or a product manager, I'm looking for those soft skills because I know that's how they'll be successful. You know, the ability to explain really complex problems in the simplest possible way. Be able to take people on a journey, be great storytellers. You know, I love it when product people tell me a story. Tell me a story about your product. You know, be your product. I think that's really important skill sets to, to factor in on. And I think that that's what makes great product leaders. That's why they shine. Yeah. Think of it as someone like a guy, uh, you know, uh, when you go and look at the great kind of product leaders out there, you know, I don't want to use Steve Jobs, but I'm going to use him because he just jumps out of my mind. Or even Gary, Gary Kawasaki. When they go up on stage, they tell stories. They tell stories about how their product performs and why their product's important and the mission they're on. We all engage into that, and I think that's what we look for in great product leaders. So talking about those soft skills, communication, influencing, et cetera, how can product managers hone in on those skills and really refine them? Is there particular tools, education platforms, or is it something that evolves over time and through practice? I'd I'd always emphasize, obviously, your own personal development there, continue to learn your craft, ensure that you're understanding the big trends. You know, um, Mike Gagan books, I'd always go, highly recommend Gary, anything he puts out there, a great thought leader in our space. But really, I I think if you want to transition into that leadership role within products, especially in your existing companies, I'd encourage you to get a deep understanding about how your business operates today, the markets, the influences, the big trends that impact your business. Move outside of your swim lane in terms of your product as well. Get out there. If you're in a product role that maybe is more internally facing or just one particular market segment, try and understand other product lines, what drives them, what motivates them. Spend time. You know, we're encouraged to spend time with our customer. Definitely always do that, but also spend time with our sales teams, spend time with our marketing teams, understand their finance teams, because the great product leaders, again, understand how our business operates. They understand the big drivers of our markets and how our products align up to those. Now, I always talk about like the pyramid of product, you know, and how do we actually, what does this look like? And in my mind, you've got this pyramid of product that at the base layer is our people. What kind of people do we need to build a product? Then we have our kind of product strategy and at the pinnacle of that pyramid is our business strategy. And we want to make sure they're all lining up. So as, as, as you move into product roles, I'd encourage everyone to get understanding of that. What kind of people do I need to be successful to deliver this product to market? And this product has it line up to my business strategy. What are the big motivators in the organization? What are the big trends that I have to be aware of? And as I sit there and write my own individual product strategy, and I'd encourage every product manager to have their own product strategy, what is your North Star? Where do you want to take your product? I think they're really important skills and really important things to go and learn. So I definitely index heavily onto that. And one of the big things I think that would be really helpful to hear from you is how can product managers prepare for leadership roles? I think that's a really interesting question in itself in that 
I, I, again, I'd encourage people here. There's two da- definite two different tracks to leadership. There's that people leadership, and invariably, you know, as we move up product leadership roles, you will have leadership responsibility in terms of people. So definitely spend time growing yourself in terms of how you want to be as a leader. Spend time understanding those leaders you respect. You know, go out there and actually shadow them. All that usual stuff in terms of your own individual career growth in terms of people leadership. But from a product side, I think this is where, again, just expanding our, our horizons in terms of how can I take a greater responsibility within my own team to represent my product? So I'd always encourage product managers be the voice of the team. You know, get out there, present, get used to talking about your product at every possible opportunity you have. You know, whenever there's that opportunity to present to a leadership team or to an executive team or even to the board, be encouraging yourself to do that. I think exposure at that level is immense. And I would encourage every product manager to, as part of their career growth plans, to be pushing for those opportunities. Get out there if you're, you're an organization that maybe has a sales team, as an outward facing customer aspect, get there out there on the sales course with your team as well. Understand how to sell your product. I can't emphasize enough how being able to sell your own product will actually take you to another level of actually understanding what the drivers of your product, how it should be successful. And then as you scale up to product leadership, you understand how you can actually take those same practices, those same skills to the next level. So definitely get out there and a few sales calls as well. I think that's been something I really indexed heavily into in my early stage of my career is understanding, understanding the market, but then understanding how I should talk about my product. What an elevator pitch really resonates. How I simplify some of the key messages down. Because as we move into these leadership roles, it all becomes about communication and contact setting and what success looks like, what outcomes we're trying to achieve. And just as we think we've communicated enough, double down and do it all over again because we can never stop communicating. So definitely those are the areas I would encourage anyone to start preparing in terms of their leadership journey. I love that. And I really resonate with the whole elevator pitch thing. At Middleton Executive, we've done a lot of work on our elevator pitch and it changes constantly. You know, we all know technology is such a fast moving industry. You've got to keep up and that means constantly evolving and changing your language. And um, yeah, definitely resonate with that one a lot. (laughs) I agree with that. I think uh, our products evolve just like we do every time. You know, North Stars. I love North Stars because I, I kind of look at it and go, a North Star is, if you're on your boat, the North Star is always there. You never get to it. You should never get to your North Star. You adjust course, you change, you get new impact, new app, new data comes in, new assumptions are made. That means our elevator pitch should change as well. You know, what does that mean? How does my product change and evolve over time? I think that's fascinating. You know, our values don't have to change, but our, our elevator pitch definitely should. Yes, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> um, what are some of the common pitfalls to be aware of when starting out on your product journey? I think there's a few. I think one is, is interesting. There's, I was hearing a talk a couple of weeks back where the person on there talking about product and they were over in debt. They were saying, hey, get out there and talk to a customer once a week. I think that's brilliant. It's great. We definitely should be getting out there and talking to our customers all the time. But we've got to be very careful of over-indexing on customer feedback. So I think I hear a lot about this from, from especially product people early in their journey. Customer X said this to me. And I think here we need to be, think, be aware of things like survivor bias. Generally, we're going to be talking to customers who want to talk to us. 
They may want to talk to us because they love their product. They may want to talk to us because they hate our product. But how do we actually get out to those customers that we're not hearing from? So again, don't over-index on too much of the customer feedback. It's as a vital a cog, just as your data is a vital a cog, just as what's happening in terms of the market is a vital cog, making sure that you don't over-index on any one of those data feeds. Next, I see a lot of product managers um, really confusing their roadmap and their delivery plan is the same thing. Uh, again, roadmaps are important, but I look at roadmaps and go, roadmaps are full of lies, you know, um, and this... When someone puts a roadmap in front of me, I look at it and get my first question is, is this just a feature plan? Is this just a delivery plan? If, if all goes well, this is what you want to do. I don't want to see those types of roadmaps. So I think when product managers first start up, they get very indexed onto to the feature roadmap. Hey, we're going to do this, then we're going to build that, then we're going to build that. And that's not what matters. What really matters is, hey, your product, what outcome do you want to try and achieve? You know, And what, what do you think you need to do to achieve that outcome? And more importantly for me, what are the unknowns or what are the assumptions you're making? And how can you reduce that unknown list? And how can you validate those assumptions as quickly as possible? So I think a lot of product managers get provide pressure from the business for a roadmap. Usually, you know, we're talking about investment cycles, maybe budget sequence, you know, maybe report to the board. Hey, we need this roadmap. I need to show all the features we're going to drop and justify our existence. And I feel like product managers then get into this trap of always having to have a roadmap and they know themselves as well that it's a dangerous game things change am i going to get held to account for this so i think it's really important that one we understand roadmaps are for lies and that when we start talking about what we want to achieve in, in terms of our outcomes really indexing on hey these are the metrics i want to try and achieve this quarter you know this is the focus maybe this is how many users i want to require maybe this is the revenue i want to try and generate Really, they're the things that we want to be talking about as product managers, not about features, not about, you know, how many screens we're going to build over this year. Important. It's important that we have delivery plans, but they're certainly not the same as roadmaps. And, and I'd really go, again, our whole idea when we think about what we want to achieve this year, what are the key results we want to get to? What are the assumptions we've made around those key results? And what are the unknowns? And how can I quickly validate those assumptions and reduce the number of unknowns? That should be my focus. And then the other thing is, well, I think because these days it's really hard for product managers, there's so much going on, especially if you're in more of an established business, the amount of legacy tech that we have to deal with, the amount of time it can often ship, take to ship a product to market, it means our product people, I've noticed, have become more and more risk-averse, less and less ambitious. And I think that's a lot to do with the, the culture they're in today of, hey, we'd love to do that. We've got all this tech debt we have to pay off. Or we'd love to do that, but, you know, if this fails, the impact to the revenue of the business is too great. So our product people are becoming, I think, a little bit too much risk-averse and, and falling maybe into the trap more of program managers than product managers. I'd like to see young product people, hey, be, be open to risk, you know, go and, go and understand risk and be open to ex taking acceptable risk. Be ambitious. Your job in that kind of product pod, in that product team, is to be the person talking about the North Star, the ambitions, where we want to go. We want to reinvent the world. I think, again, our, our product people should be those who are always those who want to be ambitious, pull everyone on this journey with us, because I can tell you now, no one else in that team is going to be doing that. It's going to have to be you. You know, so again, I think there's some of the pitfalls I'm especially seeing these days over the last couple of years. 
I think as we've seen a huge number of companies go digital and they've got aging platforms, this is causing them issues in terms of their ambitions and what they want to do out there in the world. Love it. And and when we talk about scaling a product team or function, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? That's that's a really good question. I think first and foremost, you can't scale yourself. And I think as we scale up our product or we scale up uh, our team or investment in one area, quite often as a product leader, you know, when you sit there and you go, okay, I could do with more engineers. I need to ship more features. You know, I want to get this outcome out to market quicker. Your first index is to go, well, I can take more on. I just need to fund more engineers right now. That's fundamentally wrong. Uh, so definitely one of the pitfalls I've, I've made over the years is investing too heavily in too many engineers and not ensuring that I'm actually creating more product people around me as well and scaling that up. So first lesson I've learned, you can't scale yourself. So as you sit there and think about this, and again, think about you know, one relationship, a product manager to a squad or to a team, you're there writing all the cards, you're sitting there doing design sprints, you may be doing story breakdowns. Think about what that means to you in terms of your time. So we scale up the investment in an area, we have to make sure that we're scaling up that product muscle as well. So that's incredibly important. Probably the one big pitfall I've made on a couple of times and certainly never want to make ever again. Um, the next one is as we scale up, the ways we used to work don't work anymore. Again, think about those customer interviews. You know, as we get bigger and bigger and bigger, it's going to be harder and harder to get around all of our customers. And so you've got to think about new ways of working there as well. The way you used to do things will not scale up in the new world. So you should always have that growth mindset, try new ways of working, try new ways of doing things. Think about the world we're in right now with hybrid and Zooms and the way we're working, whether we do retros, et cetera. That's had to fundamentally change. As we scale up, we should take that same approach. How do we adjust to the new environment? I think that's such an important one and something that I think we sometimes forget anyone in their roles. Things always change. What's that saying? That doing the same thing that doesn't work again is a definition of insanity. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Yes, exactly. Exactly. this trap all the time. You mentioned earlier that you have both experience in B2B and B2C. Um, what have you found is different in those industries? Is product the same everywhere or is there a big difference? There's many common threads. And I think people can transfer quite seamlessly across the different areas. What's been interesting, though, I think back in the B2B world, you'd read a lot about how to do product. You know, we think about experimentation. You know, we think about being able to do fast cycles, you know, lean, fail quick. In the B2B world, I always struggled to actually apply a lot of this. I always thought, this is great, but the risk is too much there. Moving into the B2C world, you know, like I say, here at realestate.com.au, we're talking about audiences in the millions. It's really easy for us to experiment. I can take a sizable pool of our audience and test a new product or a new way of interacting and get meaningful data out of that. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. I think when we go to B2B world, the B2B world, that is, is more of a challenge. When I look there, we're usually talking about smaller user bases. If we're lucky, we may have users in the tens of thousands. If we're really lucky, hundreds, but typically we need to look in the thousands. Usually as well with our B2B world, we, we deliver software to our customers that forms one small part of their workflow. 
you know, when we think about the day-to-day life, you know, when I used to do payroll software, for example, you know, our payroll software was an important part of their job, but it wasn't the only part of our payroll customer's job. If we were to go and try and make, you know, lots of changes to them, that fundamentally impacts their workflow as individuals as well. So we have to be very respectful of that audience. That means a lot of the kind of ways of working that we see advocated that come out of Silicon Valley and our VC type world are really challenging to apply to B2B. And I think that's the big difference. That I don't think there's a great playbook for B2B software. And I'd encourage product managers still be ambitious, still be risk takers, but be respectful of our audience there. And I think they're the big, big differences I'm seeing out there. And I definitely I can agree with that again. Um, I'm sure some of our last listeners would love to know a little bit more about you, Jonathan. Can you tell us about one of your biggest, greatest achievements? Uh, look, uh, the greatest achievement I think I've uh, been able to make actually is find a job I really enjoy. Uh, you know, find a job that is product, you know, this this kind of nexus between technology and people that we call product management. I think is an immense job. I'm very, very fortunate that I kind of fell into this. I'd like to say it was a conscious career change, but uh, as I said early on, you know, I see myself as an engineer. Originally, when I left university, went and designed microchips. You know, that was that was my life. Fell of a Nazi, moved to this country, and had to find a new job. (laughs) I somehow came across product management as part of that journey. And I think that was without realizing it my greatest achievement because it meant that I've been in jobs I've genuinely enjoyed, I've had a passion for, and, and I get paid really well. And I think anybody starting out the career, if you can find a job that pays well and you enjoy, oh wow, you that is going to be your number one. You know, so for me, that's definitely it. Look, and in terms of kind of products I've led, I was really proud. We we did the IPO at a whisper that was incredibly proud of. I think mean, that was a great achievement there. Um, but even just doing my own startups and my own smaller businesses over the years, I really enjoyed that. But maybe the, the, whenever I talk about the real highlights, though, it's when I've seen people who've worked for me go on to amazing careers. You know, so, so we've parted ways, you know, they've gone off, become CPOs themselves or general managers themselves. That gives you just this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And I love that aspect of us. I just love seeing people grow and achieve outcomes. And you know, you've had a small little pile in that and that that I've really enjoyed. And that's why at Middleton Executive, we love what we do, being able to impact people's careers, which in turn impact people's lives. It's so rewarding. Um, and, uh, you know, a little bit scary sometimes having that responsibility. But, yeah, when you get that phone call from someone that's just so grateful for your help and landing them a job, it's just the best feeling ever. <laughs> Makes all that hard work worthwhile. We know that today's world, you know, in the mindfulness world, that um, it's important that we don't over-index in our careers. We are not our careers. We get all of that. But work is such an important part of it that I would encourage people to always kind of index heavily on finding that sweet spot for yourself definitely get rewarded for doing it but go find that 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 job that you do have fun in really important yeah absolutely easier said than done for some people (laughs) what's the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome in your career I think the biggest obstacle is um and you know a bloke in his 40s saying this is that kind of imposter syndrome I always kind of I think because I knew I enjoyed my job. I knew I was good at my job. I always felt a little bit of an imposter, you know, looking around the room going, is this real? Are you allowed to do this? 
And I think that's quite often maybe second guess myself. It's probably put a bias into my mind as well that, that I don't think has always been a great thing, hasn't led to great outcomes for me as an individual. You know, second guessing yourself, doubtful about your actions. So that imposter syndrome, I think, getting over that actually is it's weird to say it. You know, quite often people in the you know, biggest obstacle, uh, you know, I came from a poor family, you know, I wasn't able to go to university. I get all of that, but actually, I think. I think being able to get over your own kind of imposter syndrome and understand it's okay to like your job, it's okay to be good at your job and it's okay to have fun and to trust yourself in that regard, I think that's been a great um, obstacle to overcome. Maybe that's also just called being in your 40s as well. So, hey, you know, this is the most angsty time of our life. As we're in the middle of lockdowns, maybe, maybe that's what I'm indexing in that heavily at the moment. <laughs> no, I'm 28 and I definitely suffer from imposter syndrome every now and then. It's um, uh, something I hear about a lot, actually, and talk to people a lot about because um, it's an interesting challenge to overcome at any age. <laughs> um, look, Jonathan, it's been so good talking to you today. Thank you for sharing your insights and experiences with us. How can our listeners um, stay connected with you? Thanks, George. It's been a pleasure. Uh, look, check me out on LinkedIn. Um, just uh, Jonathan-Swift, you'll find my public profile there. Send me a comment, send a connection request. I'd love, love to meet more people in our industry. I think um, we're really privileged. Uh, we, we, there's so many amazing people in the product field, so many amazing people interested in it that I don't think I've um, yet met anyone that I didn't learn something off. So I'd encourage everyone to reach out or uh, on Twitter at Swifty Down Under. You can get me there as well. And lastly, what's your one piece of advice that you'd give to our product manager listeners? Oh, one piece of advice that is that I find product managing a fascinating field. I really do. But there's no book of knowledge. There's no one way of doing product. So I would say to everyone listening to this is, it's okay not to have the answer and it's okay that you you don't quite know the way of doing it because there is no one source of truth for product management. It's not like we've got a PM box or, you know, the right way of doing CICD. It's none of that. Most of us are making it up as we go along. That's both a privilege and a bit of a worry, but in general, it's okay. You don't have to have all the answers and not everyone is correct all the time. So relax about that. I think everyone in the world can take on a bit of that advice. (laughs) Um, Jonathan, it's been so good having you today. Thank you so much and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, George. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.